Well, we want to enjoy God's word together. And so I would invite you, if you would, to ready your Bible. And if you wouldn't mind, find the Gospel of Luke this morning in the New Testament. Luke chapter 23. Whether that's in um, a hard copy Bible or it's on your iPad or your phone, uh, wherever it is, find that place. If you need a Bible today, you got out of the house without yours, uh, we can certainly provide you with one if you just raise your hand. And there's a little note page in your bulletin. Uh, grab that because uh, we are drawing upon that heavily today. You're going to really want to have that or, or, or with your partner um, have it so that you can share it together. And church family, we, we are standing this morning on the, the leading edge of Easter week. And I suspect for most of us in this room, we would consider this, this week to, and the Sunday that is coming up, to really be kind of the high water mark of our, of our calendar year as a Christian. Yes, Christmas is special, but this is the moment that makes all the difference when we think about the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to be celebrating that life-changing, eternity-changing truth that Jesus died, but he what? He rose again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And we will be shouting that next week. And what about today? Well, today is Palm Sunday, the day that prepares the way for Passion Week. And this is the Sunday when we might typically and traditionally uh, be heading for those places in God's word where we get to remember that marvelous scene where Jesus enters Jerusalem as the humble king of kings riding on the back of a, a small donkey. And, and yet we're not going to use this day or this particular scene in that way today. We're actually going to use a different scene, this scene, to help our, prepare us today. We stand this morning on a hill outside of Jerusalem, it's early springtime, an unusually beautiful day, probably a day not unlike this day. And what's outside in this beautiful day just stands in such sharp contrast to the terrible drama that we are stepping into this morning as we join Jesus on Calvary Hill. Three crosses, two convicted rebels flanking a center cross upon which the innocent and sinless Jesus hangs, nailed there hand and foot. Arrested the night before while praying for God's will and not his own to be done, Jesus now by this time has endured several mock trials. He's been beaten mercilessly, scourged savagely. He's wrestled his cross through Jerusalem's narrow streets and out to this place of execution and there a most odd audience is gathered to bear witness to the drama, comprised of the curious, no doubt, but also those who love Jesus dearly and are devoted to him. In addition, there would have been the officials, the religious officials, and the Roman executioners. And this morning we join this scene. We all look on as Jesus utters seven statements from the most amazing pulpit that could possibly be imagined. If you have been with us and you're perhaps a regular part of our church family, you know that we have been using the past six Sunday mornings to help us prepare our hearts for next Sunday, for Resurrection Day. And we've been doing that by way of a study series we, we simply called Seven Words, taking a closer look at each of those seven statements that Jesus makes while he is hanging on the cross. 
as Jesus dies for the sins of the world and he dies for the sins of each one of us in this room, he does not do that silently. We have learned that for sure. He doesn't do that silently. And and he's not like some passive, defeated victim of some great, cruel injustice. While nailed to the cross, Jesus, in seven distinct and powerful moments, speaks words that the Holy Spirit has preserved for us in our Bibles through the Gospel writers. And each statement is kind of like a diamond. Uh, Each statement kind of glimmers and and, and it shines with, with priceless, timeless truth. Even though these seven diamonds, if you will, are being held in in this terrible setting of, of stunning ugliness, the, the brutality of a first century Roman crucifixion. We've shared now six of Jesus' seven cross words. All seven are collected there for you on your note page if you uh, just need to be refreshed a little bit. Today we bring the seven words to a close as we spend time with Jesus' final statement before he gives himself up to death. The place where, you, uh, where you'll find this last statement of Jesus is in the place where your Bible is open now, Luke 23, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 44. We're just going to read a, a couple of verses here, and I'll invite you to follow along. Luke writes, it was now about the sixth hour, or about noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour or about three o'clock, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit and Lord Jesus. We come now to the final words. Jesus, your final exhale is at the same time our first promise. Because you are in the Father's hands, so too are we who have trusted in you. Because you live, we live too. Show us the riches of these last of your words today. By your spirit, let let our hearts capture the truths. Let our minds embrace what you have for us today. Allow me, Holy Spirit, to simply be the mouthpiece through which you would want to speak to your people today. And let these words that we share today, let these words help us as we move through this week until we get to say the words, He is risen. He is risen indeed. We ask this in your strong name, Jesus, and all your people say, amen Amen and amen. Well, if you've been with us over these past weeks, you know that Jesus' seventh word from the cross brings to a close a storm of suffering that we can't even begin to comprehend. It is, as we've already read, about three o'clock in the afternoon on this Friday on Calvary Hill, and And so Jesus has been hanging on the cross for about six hours by the time we get to this moment. For half of that time, Luke tells us, beginning about noon, a supernatural darkness has lain over this entire scene. 
As we talked about this a few weeks ago, this, this darkness, I personally believe, is a, is a physical, visible expression in the natural realm of what Jesus is experiencing in the spiritual realm as he becomes sin for you and for me. You remember we talked about, about that. About noon, we believe he cried out with an with, in unimaginable anguish. He cries out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Because God has been forced to turn away in holy revulsion as his son assumes the sin and the the guilt of the entire human race for all of, of time. And he takes that upon himself. And he doesn't just take our sin upon himself. The scriptures tell us he becomes our sin. And in this place of utter aloneness, this place of utter abandonment, Jesus hangs, personally experiencing the, the alienation and the separation from God that always, is, it always goes with sin. It always separates. Each second of his anguish must have felt like an eternity to Jesus as he was separated from the Father in this place of forsakenness. One hour becomes two. Two hours becomes three. And then about three o'clock, Jesus from a dust dry mouth, a burning throat, parched lips, speaks the fifth of his seven statements. And he says, I am thirsty. He barely gets those words out as his tongue sticks to the roof of his mouth. And he does this. He says this in order to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. And the sour wine on a sponge is brought by a soldier and And he moistens his mouth with that. And then Jesus shouts the sixth statement, it is finished. We looked at that last week together. Not I am finished, but what? It is finished. And these words, of course, not spoken as a sigh or a forlorn resignation by a defeated victim but a triumphal declaration. It is finished. A shout of victory from one who is in total control of the moment. And with these words, Jesus says, the suffering is over for me since price has been paid, Satan has been defeated, and salvation has been eternally secured for all who who put their faith and their trust in me. It is finished. And we say, amen and amen. I am thirsty. It is finished. Those two statements were spoken very close together. And then almost immediately after those two statements comes the final word. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. As Jesus takes his last breath and dies, it is believed that that these three last statements were all probably spoken in the last minute before his last breath. The good Dr. Luke is careful to include a detail that I don't want us to miss. It occurs simultaneously with Jesus' final statement. He tells us in verse 45 that when Jesus makes this statement, the great curtain in the temple was torn in two. Did you note that as we were reading together? Even as he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, this this great curtain that hung in the temple is torn from top to bottom. You may know a little bit about this already, but if you don't, uh, there was an enormous woven veil, probably four inches thick, that, 
that hung inside the Jewish temple, not very far from where Jesus is being crucified uh, outside the city wall. This veil, which was several inches thick and separated what was called the holy place inside the temple structure from the holy of holies, which was a, a room where God's presence symbolically dwelt. And from Old Testament times, God had instructed his people uh, to pattern their worship so that this great curtain served kind of as a, like a barrier between sinful man and a holy God. Only the high priest of Israel could enter the Holy of Holies. Uh, he could only do that once a year on the Day of Atonement. And when he did, he had to carry the blood of an innocent animal in a basin, if you remember. It was an act that had to be repeated every year, year after year, the priest making atonement to a holy God for the sins of the people. This curtain was symbolic of the separation that, that sin brought between God and mankind. The price to access God, the, the, the means for forgiveness of sin would always be blood, innocent blood. When Jesus died on Calvary Hill at three on that Friday afternoon and his sinless blood was poured out and it's, his drops of blood fell to the ground on that, on that day, God himself, in recognition of the sacrifice of the innocent, tore the curtain, Luke says, from top to bottom supernaturally. And by doing that, he was saying, God was saying to the world that Jesus had opened up the way between himself and the sinful. God was now and forever would be accessible to us who would repent and believe in Jesus and what he had done. The way into the Holy of Holies was now ours. He died for us. The writer of Hebrews captures this, this great truth in a, in a portion of uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And I just would like to read these words for you. We'll put them up on the screen as well. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the what? The holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The writer of Hebrews is talking about this very moment. Jesus' last words from the cross were the, the final piece, if you will, of the salvation drama. And what words they are. Let's take a closer look at this last statement. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Did you know that this last statement is actually Jesus' quoting of an Old Testament statement that we find in Psalm 31 and verse 5? It's important for us to know that little detail because it gives us a remarkable window into exactly what Jesus was thinking about in the last minute of his earthly life. We know what he was thinking about. He was thinking about an Old Testament psalm, Psalm 31. And he was drawing strength and assurance and comfort from those words. And just knowing that alone tells me what an example Jesus is for me. He's, he's, he's showing me what do I do when life is just coming down all around me and I'm at my, at my very end, where do I go for strength? Where do I go for assurance? Where do I go for peace and comfort? What's the answer, church family? We go into the word of God, don't we? 
We go to the Word of God. That's what Jesus does. And if, if Jesus does that, how can that not be the best for me as well? Well, Jesus' thoughts gravitate to this one particular psalm, Psalm 31, for a very good reason. It's a psalm that was composed by King David when he was enduring a time of extreme trouble in his life. In fact, uh, I'll just invite you to listen while I read as David talks about his situation, and then you'll not be at all surprised why Jesus will um, gravitate to these words. Here's what David writes about his own life. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side as they scheme together against me as they plot to take my life. Now David is telling us about his situation. It's a desperate moment. Danger on every side, hatred, anger, betrayal, rumors, scheming, plots to, to, to murder him, death near at hand. No wonder, of all the places Jesus might go in God's word in this moment, he goes to Psalm 31. This is what he's thinking about because this psalm captures what he's experiencing. But David, in this psalm, makes a great declaration of his confidence in God, even though life may be coming to an end. He doesn't know. And as, as his world is collapsing in on him, David still, with great confidence, says, God, I trust you. And so here's how the rest of the psalm goes. Psalm 31. We'll put this part up on the screen for you. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. You know Jesus is thinking these words. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge into your hand. I commit my spirit. This is David's declaration of God being his safe place in the face of imminent death. And this is right where Jesus is. And this is what he is feeling. And so this is what he declares as well. He turns to Scripture and he seizes on these Holy Spirit-inspired words of old that reflect his heart best in this moment. Into your hand I commit my spirit. It's really a declaration by Jesus of complete and utter confidence in God to take perfect care of him as his earthly life comes to a close. Do we all see that? Yeah. Only he takes David's statement and he adds one word to it. Did you notice this? He adds one word to it. What's the word he adds? Father. Yes, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, David didn't say that. Jesus says that. 
It's that word of relational intimacy that, that Jesus enjoyed with God. It's that word of the closest relational connection of love and that exists between the first and second persons of the Trinity. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I would submit to you that Jesus is saying here in the spirit of David's psalm that, that he is perfectly safe and he knows it. He's perfectly safe in this moment of imminent death as he places his life where? In the hands of his father. One breath away from death, he says, Father, I'm safe. Perfectly safe. So long as you are holding me. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's really beautiful. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, there is something else here that I would not want you to miss in this moment. Uh, and for this, I need to take you back to the beginning of our, of our series together. Do you remember what the very first cross word of Jesus was? The very first statement that he made from the cross? Remember what it was? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's a prayer, isn't it? How does it begin? It begins with the word Father. Again, that intimate father-son relational connection. But we know the story now. Midway through the crucifixion, about noon, about three hours into the crucifixion, everything changes as Jesus takes our sin, your sin, my sin, onto himself. And that's when we hear Jesus experience for the first time ever Not intimacy, but alienation. Not closeness, but forsakenness between the Father and the Son. The relationship is now in a very different place, isn't it? Started out, Father. Now what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then Jesus will, after a while, say what? It is It is Yes. Announcing that redemption's price has been paid, the temple curtain has been ripped apart, and in that moment of intimate fellowship between God the Father and God the Son, it is what? It It is restored, isn't it? That relationship is once again in place. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. A a breath away from death, he says, Father, I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm not forsaken anymore. I'm, I'm safe, perfectly safe, as long as you are holding me. These are such precious words to Jesus. But here's where we're going to go now. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that these words... Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Do you think these words are words that only Jesus gets to say? Are they his words alone? Or are they also our words, fellow Christian? Can we say these words? Can we say them? I'm so glad to hear you say that. I knew you would say that too, by the way. 
You know, a few weeks ago, we were, we were soaking together here in this room in the fourth of Jesus' statements, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the truth that we drew out that day was that Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we would never, ever have to say those words, right? He said them for us. Well, now I would ask you to consider that Jesus says at the moment of his last breath, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit so that you and I can say those words. Yes? We can say these words along with him. And when you leave this place today, that's what the truth that I hope will be be swelling up in your heart. As you move through Passion Week, you, by virtue of your relationship with Jesus, through faith in Him and what He has done for you, you get to say these words. There's some words on the mountain, on this hill, that you could never say, but you can say these words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Every lover of Jesus, I would submit, can say these words. Let's break Jesus' statement down into its three main parts so that we will know that this is really true. Father is the first part. Into your hands is the second part. I commit my spirit, the third part. And you see that broken out there on your little note page. First, think with me about the word father. Uh, is, Is this term father one that you and I are allowed to use when we relate to God? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you do, right? I mean, you're, you're all for that. Uh, it's such a, an intimate term. It's, a, it's such a term of endearment and closeness and relational connection. But you think that you can say that word? Use that word with God? Even though you are a, a, a mortal creature and sinful at that, can you use this word? It's an odd question for me to ask. Of course, we can all use this word. We've been using this word, Pastor Tim, since the first day we knew Jesus. We've been saying it. We've been singing it. We've been writing it our whole Christian life. What a silly question for you to ask. And, and, and it's true. It is really true. We have been using this word, Father, in our relationship with God our whole Christian life. But we also know, don't we, brothers and sisters, that it was not always true. This was not always so. Do we know that? Do you understand that? It was not like this before Jesus came. Nobody called God Father before Jesus came. Many months ago, we were enjoying uh, a series on the Old Testament names of God. Do you remember that? About four months we, we spent, and we just stayed in the Old Testament, and we just looked at names that God had taken for himself and then given to his people to, to, to call him by. And we unpacked a lot of different names. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of names, great names that God has given to himself, and we looked at those names. Just to remind you of a few of them, Elohim, our strong, powerful, infinitely great creator God. Yahweh, our personal, relational, promise-keeping God. Adonai, the God who owns my life, right? My master, Yahweh Ra, the Lord who lovingly shepherds my life. 
Yahweh Shalom, the Lord whose presence brings me peace. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord who is my banner, my protector. Yahweh Jireh, my Lord will provide my sacrifice. Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of heaven's armies who fights for me. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who is my great healer. El Kanah, my God who is jealous for me. El Roy, who sees me 24 7, 365. El Olam, the eternal God who never changes. And that wasn't all of them we looked at. Great, glorious names. But not once, if you remember, in that entire explore of the great Old Testament names of God, did we ever come on to the name Father. The people of old only knew God as powerful, exalted, high, holy, and in some ways, unapproachable. Not uninvolved, certainly, but but not close and intimate, not like a father. That was just not a name that you used with him until Jesus comes, right? And then, and then Jesus says, you can call God by the same name I call him by. Check out several passages there on your note page. This is why this is really important for you to have that. Uh, In the Sermon on the Mount, one day when Jesus is preaching to a large crowd on the side of a hill, he'll talk about prayer in the course of that sermon that he delivered. And here's what he says, Matthew 6, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. There on your note page. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to, what's the next two words? Your father who is in secret. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. What are the next two words? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We, we so take for granted, do we not, that we can talk to, to the God of the universe like that and call him Father? And then, and then after his resurrection on Easter morning, Jesus meets Mary outside the, the empty tomb. You might be reading about that this week as you do your devotional time. And he says to Mary, John twenty seventeen, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to, what's the next phrase? My father and your father to my God and your God. That was brand new stuff. The Apostle Paul, Holy Spirit directed, doesn't fail to let us know about what kind of a relationship you and I have with God through our faith in Jesus. Romans chapter 8, two very precious verses to us, 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry what? Abba, Father. Abba. What does the word Abba mean? Daddy. Really? God of the universe? Daddy? That's the Aramaic word for daddy. Papa. Father. God is not just our father. He's our what? Our daddy? Our Papa, that's a level of intimacy and relationship unimagined in the days before Jesus. Galatians 6.4 there, 
on the page as well. And because you are sons, are sons, present tense, through faith in Jesus, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Demons tremble and they cower and they run before the name of God. Angels cover their faces and cry out, holy, 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 as they enter the presence of God. And yet you and I, who have violated His holiness by our sin, can call Him what? And Daddy. Through Jesus. Are you kidding me? I mean, really? What grace. How unspeakably precious that we can look up at our great and awesome God and say, Father, my Father. What comfort. Jesus makes that possible, doesn't he? Only Jesus makes that possible. So you can say that part of Jesus' phrase, right? His last statement. You can say that. You can say Father. But well then flip your note page over and what about the second part of Jesus' final word? Father, into your hands. Can we say that? Can we say that? These words of Jesus are essentially a declaration of the trustworthiness of God. Into your hands. Your hands are reliable. They are safe. They are secure. They are powerful. They are unchanging. They are immovable. They are unassailable. Father, they can be trusted to hold me as I take my last breath. That's what Jesus declares in this moment. He had no problem putting his life, his spirit, his whole self into his father's hands because he knew there was no better hands in the universe to hold him than those hands. What kind of hands does God have? What kind of hands does he have? Well, on your note page, Psalm 95, verses 4 and 5, in his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. What kind of hands does God have? Well, he's got strong creator hands, doesn't he? Strong creator hands. Psalm 111.7, the works of his hands are faithful and just. What kind of hands does God have? He has hands that work justice, that work truth, that can be counted on their faithful hands. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 24, God's people are are about to enter the promised land and there's going to be battles to be fought and land to be taken at God's instruction. And so we read these words, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is what? It is mighty and so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. His hands are warrior hands. They're creator hands. They're just hands. They're faithful hands. They're warrior hands. But for you and me, and what makes Jesus' last words possible for you and I to claim and repeat is what Jesus says about God's hands in John chapter 10, verses 27 to 30. It's there on your note page. We'll put it on the screen as well. Here, Jesus, as he talks about us who have trusted him, he casts himself in the role of shepherd and he places you and I in the role of what? Sheep, And here's what Jesus says. My sheep, all who have put their faith and trust in me, 
Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Is that not awesome? When you put your life into Jesus, into Jesus by faith, you have eternal life. You'll never perish. But catch this next line. And no one will snatch them out of what? My hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What an incredible promise from Jesus. When we put our trust in His death and His resurrection on our behalf, when we believe He died for us, we instantly, practically, eternally are placed into the hands of God, right? Into his hands. And, 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 in, and into Jesus' hands. It's like a double wall of spiritual protection forever and ever. And, 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 and Jesus says, I give them eternal life. And, and my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And nobody takes them out of his hands. It's never-ending protection. Can you say, Father, into your hands. Can you say that? You bet you can. Yes, you can. Because John 10 says you can. Brother and sister in Jesus, because you are right now in the hand of the living God and you can never be taken out of his hand by any power, seen or unseen, know in your heart of hearts that you can say, Father, into your hand. Now we need that last phrase, don't we? I commit my spirit. Can you say those words? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Can you say those words? You can, and at the same time, you can't. You're saying, oh, what? Tim, what? Yes. From one perspective, you can most absolutely, most certainly say, I commit my spirit into the Father's hands. But from another perspective, you cannot. So let's talk about that for just a second because it's really important. You see, Jesus' words, I commit my spirit, must be understood first before anything else as a declaration of his sovereign power of control over death in this moment on the, on the Calvary Hill. We must not miss this. All of us, as you and I know, we will succumb to death. We'll be, we'll be taken by God into his presence one day, the day that he has defined. Psalm 139 says everybody in this room has a day defined when you will leave this earth, right? Unless Jesus comes back, and don't we pray for that? But if, if that day doesn't happen, you are going to die, and you don't choose that. You, don't, you, 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 will, you will respond to that, but you don't choose that. At that moment, our spirit, the true us, the real us, the immaterial, real person that we are, not these bodies, goes instantly into the presence of God to be with him forever. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, right? 2 Corinthians 5.8. But Jesus didn't die as all of us will die. His physical life did not leave him in the same way or for the same reason that our life leaves us. Jesus could claim a power of control over death, which was his alone. 
on your note page, right under the heading, I commit my spirit, you'll find the words of John 10, 17, and 18. Are you with me there? This is very important, church family, so, so find that place, would you? Here's what Jesus says in the same chapter where he has just told us that we are his sheep and we're in his hands and nobody can snatch us out. Right before he says that, he says this. John 10, 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. What Jesus is saying here is that his physical life will not end until he gives his own deliberate consent. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Death cannot act until he wills it to act. He will not die until he says, I'm ready to die. Why? Because he's in complete control of this moment as sovereign God. Having said this, Luke says, he then breathed his last. I commit my spirit to my father into his hands when and as I will. No group of religious leaders, no waffling governor, no Roman execution squad is going to take my life in this moment. I give it, I commit it in this moment, in this time, in this way, and my father and I have determined that together. I'm in control. For that reason, we can't say these words that way, right? Right. But not only is he declaring sovereign power and control, he is also declaring that he's entrusting his life to his father. He is committing himself, who he is, the real him, his whole being as divine son into the loving hands of his father, the loving care of his father, and into that we can enter. We can do that. Father, into your hands I entrust my life. Can we say that? You bet we can. How do we know we can say that? How do we know? Well, we know that because countless lovers of Jesus down through the ages have made this very same declaration. The first person that comes to my mind when I think about this truth is a guy by the name of Stephen. Remember Stephen? First martyr for Jesus, for loving Jesus. Acts chapter 7, verse 59. Under a hail of stones as he is dying for his love, for Jesus, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Remember those words? One might think that Stephen actually heard Jesus shout the words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Maybe he was even there that day and on that hill and he heard those words because it's almost like he says them exactly. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The Apostle Paul, languishing in a Roman prison, awaiting his own execution for loving Jesus, says this in 2 Timothy 1.12, there on your note page. It's not exactly the same wording, but it's the same truth. Paul says, I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able 
to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. What day? The day when I stand before my God, having passed through the door of death. I know whom I have believed he is able to protect, to guard, to keep, because I'm in his hands what I have committed to him. You know, down through the ages, countless believers in Jesus, either on their lips or in their hearts, have spoken Jesus' last words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Can you say those words today? Are they your words? Yes? They are words that let you know that you are perfectly safe. You couldn't be more safe today if you tried to be, if you are in Jesus. Now, if you're not in Jesus today by faith, you're in a very unsafe place. But that can change. That can change right this moment. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Instantly, Jesus says, you'll be in my Father's hands, you'll be in my hands, and nobody can ever take you out. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Aren't you glad you can say those words? That's all of God. You didn't do that. It's all Him. Well, we've shared some powerful moments together, haven't we? Over the last seven weeks. Words of forgiveness. Words of salvation. Words of love and care. Words of great anguish spoken by Jesus for us so that we would never have to say those words. Words of suffering. Words of triumph. It is finished. And today, words of true security, perfect safety. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Spoken by Jesus so that we can speak them too. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Oh, what a journey. What a, what a journey for us. Holy Spirit, thank you. I just want to thank you publicly for taking us over the course of these last seven weeks into this really, really hard place where we have week in and week out spent time with the beloved as he hangs on the cross. It has not been an easy time for us. It hasn't always lifted us up. Our hearts haven't always been joy-filled as we have ached with these statements, but, oh, the reward has been marvelous. It's been wonderful. We thank you. And it's all been preparation for this coming week and Sunday that is waiting. Resurrection Day. Help us, Holy Spirit, to bring these truths to mind, especially the joy of this last truth, this last statement. Let us live in that this week. Let us share its truth with those who don't know you. And we'll say thank you for making it possible for us to say these words. Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen.